I've been told many a time in the last um, 24 years that I have been here that people can't hear me. So today I'm going to use two microphones. Um, by the way, I, I, I want to just to tell you this. Um, this has been told to me since I was in the seminary. And um, the problem has always been I had my I had a speech person analyze my voice. And what they told me is that I had very little bass in my voice. So it always sounds like I'm whispering. Um, but that's just the way I talk. Now, it's just, <laughs> periodically I've found over the years, I had a couple of times people say, on, when I was on the phone, chiefly women, they say, Father, why are you trying to sound sexy? I'm, I'm not trying. It's just the way I talk. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. You know, Lent is, is coming up. And... Um, I just, I want to give you a little bit of a, a tone with which to interpret Lent this year. And I, I'm going to use one word, just one word, and I want you to reflect on that one word. It's a negative word, but Jesus uses it in the gospel today. He says, you hypocrite. Now, I want to spend some time talking about the word hypocrite and why Jesus uses that term. But uh, allow me to start a little bit further back. I'll try not to start all the way back. Remembering my, my younger brother, Fernando, always uh, says to me, Mario, I asked you what time it was. I did not ask you to explain to me the history of the development of the clock, which is what I tend to do. Anyway, let me start a little ways back. From the time that I have been working, working as a priest, I've been in front of a lot of congregations. I've been in lots of different churches. And one of the things that a... Um, a priest, a priest who is preaching, has a has to be has the challenge that the priest has to meet is that in the congregation there is not just one level of people. You have people of different intelligences, of different ages, and of different. Um, I would call them pastoral classifications. And that's what I'd like to work to um, make a distinction. In, there's, I, I, I use two different pastoral classifications. Most of them, they're very generic. But I use two pastoral classifications for congregations. In any given congregation, I think that there are three kinds of people in a generic way. 
There are those people that are in church because they couldn't help it. Somebody dragged them to church. Um, and uh, I mean, it's better than not being here, but it's, that's kind of, there's probably not too many of them. Or somebody, some of the people that may have come just because somebody else in the family came and you don't want, didn't want them to feel bad. Then there's the second kind of, of people I've noticed in congregations. And those are what I call believers. Now, believers is a little bit, no, a lot of bit different from the third kind, kind of person, Christian. And the third kind of Christian is a disciple. Now, let me leave the, the first one aside and just, I want you to notice the distinction between a believer and a disciple. A believer and a disciple. It's interesting because a believer can be any, you can believe in anything. You know, lots of people say, do you believe in God? You know, that's kind of a generic question. First of all, you have to decide what do you mean by the word God, because there's all kinds of gods everywhere. Uh, we are so used to the Christian understanding of God, but God, it can be, God is a generic word. I always tell people that the word God is like a box. Um, it, the question is, who's inside? Is there anyone inside? Or, and who is inside that box? Uh, if the box is empty, you still have the category of God, but you're an atheist. If you don't know if the box is empty or not, you're an agnostic. But then the moment you say, I am a believer, you're saying, I believe there's someone inside the box called God. But then you have a further issue. Which God? Are you talking about the God of the Buddhists? Some of the gods of the Hindus? Are you talking about the God of Islam? The God of the Jews? The related God of Christianity? And you can go on and on and on as to which God you believe in. Technically, all of those people are believers. They're believers. Now, when you apply that to a Christian, you can be a believer. And you believe in a specific kind of God, the God that Jesus revealed to us. But there's still a problem. You see, let me give you an ex just an example of the way that you can use the word believe. Look, let me give you an example. I have never seen the Christ that is on the mountain, the statue of Christ that is on the mountain in Rio de Janeiro. It's huge. I think it should be tremendously impressive. I've never been to Rio, so I've never seen it. I believe in it. I believe that it exists. So I believe, I am a believer that it exists. But through some sort of um, uh, trick, I'd be shown later on that 
that statue in all the media that I have seen has been photoshopped and it actually doesn't exist and my belief was wrong. Well, okay, but it doesn't really make any difference to me. Okay, so it doesn't exist. But I, I still today believe that it exists. So what does the word believe mean there? It just means, that, yeah, it exists. He exists or it exists. But you don't have a lot of skin in the game on that one. I'm, I'm, you can say you're a believer. But let me give you another situation. You're in the hospital about to have tremendously complicated brain surgery, which could leave you paralyzed. The doctor, the neurosurgeon comes in, and after you talk to him before he leaves and they put you under, he say, you say, Doc, I believe in you. What do you say? You're using the word believe. What are you saying? I don't think you're saying, Doc, I believe you exist, and it would make no difference to me whether you succeeded or not. In that sense, the word believe in you means I'm putting my life in your hands. I am making a decision to trust you fundamentally with everything that I have. Now, in the church, we can have a lot of different understandings of I believe. When we say the credo, the creed, I believe in one God. Now, you can say that all, all afternoon, and you can mean it in some sort of superficial way. But do you really believe? Are you trusting? Are you putting your life in that God's hands? I don't think so. A lot of times, and please understand, I'm not pointing fingers to anyone. I think if you notice the, exam, the, the motto that our parish uses... We use the motto, uh, transforming cultural Christians into intentional disciples. That's what it basically means. Transforming superficial believers into being intentional disciples. What Jesus is doing today in this gospel is really implicitly making the distinction between superficial believers and a disciple. And even within discipleship, there's a lot of distinctions. Why? Because the word disciple, of course, means a student. It comes from the word discipline. Okay? It means you are a student of Jesus. Now notice, you can believe in Jesus without being a student of Jesus. And if you're being a student, then the question ought to come to your mind is, what course am I studying? What's the point here of following a teacher? Well, basically you are studying how to be a human being. You don't just believe in Jesus because it's your religion. That's nice, but it's useless. 
You believe in Jesus because you believe, you trust, that your life is all screwed up, and if you want to get it back to normal, you got to follow the, the example of the only normal human being that has ever existed. Jesus is the only normal human being. Now, these days, of course, that's a very non-politically correct thing to say. Because what all of us are supposed to do is, you do your thing, I do my thing, I'm not in this world to impress you, neither are me, and if we can both kind of do our own things and we're equal, that's beautiful. Well, BS. BS, by the way, means it just means beautiful stuff. I, I, I don't know what, it, what comes to your mind, but I learned it as beautiful stuff. So, if you want to write the cardinal, tell him I said beautiful stuff. But notice that a believer then and a disciple are different. Now, it's interesting because listen to what Jesus says about if you consider yourself a Christian. Because when you consider yourself a Christian, you got to ask, are you a Christian believer or a Christian disciple? I think that's a, a, a fairly good distinction to make. Do you just believe or are you a student? And if you're a student, are you a student that is paying attention or are you just goofing off in class? And that's something you have to decide. And by the way, it will all come to light when you take the test, as it does in school, right? If you flunk the test, you know you didn't study, okay? By the way, that's what judgment is. <laughs> judgment is the final exam of the course. But listen to what Jesus says about discipleship. And he uses the word hypocrite. This is where I want to go to. No disciple is superior to the teacher. Now, you're starting with a disciple, understanding that a disciple, a student, yet is not superior to the teacher. But listen to the next step. But when fully trained, every disciple will be like his teacher. Now notice, you can use the word disciple, but a disciple that is not fully trained. Every disciple, no disciple, is superior to the teacher. But when fully trained, every disciple will be like his teacher. The key there is fully trained, fully trained. And then he goes on to give an example. Because a lot of times when you have, when you have superficial disciples, they get into religion. Now, getting into religion is a good thing, but not all religion is a good thing. Okay, always remember that the people who crucified Jesus were the most religious people in Judaism. But what was the problem? Mm, that their religion was hypocritical. I'm getting there to that word. But listen to the example that Jesus uses. 
Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not notice or perceive the wooden beam that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove that splinter from your eye, when you do not even notice the wooden beam in your own? Now comes the two-word sentence. You hypocrite. Have you ever thought about what a hypocrite is? It's one of my favorite words. Uh, I've said it before, but I always enjoy meditating on it. The word hypocrite, the etymology, the word origin of the word hypocrite, comes from hypo, the prefix hypo, and the second part is crisis. A hypocrisis. Now, the prefix hypo is the opposite of the prefix hyper. So, if, for example, if you have a hyperactive child, you have a child that is overly active, above that which is normal. He is hyper. But when you have hypo, that means under. So, for example, you can have a hypodermic needle. The dermis is the top layer of your skin. Hypodermis, hypodermic, is a needle that goes under the top layer of your skin. So you have hypo, meaning under. But then you have crit, hypocrit. Crisis, it comes from the word crisis. So what is that crisis? Well, the most generic example of crisis that I have found is an urgent moment of decision. You have a crisis. And you have to respond to the crisis. Now, if you, enjoy, if you join the prefix hypo and you put it together with the word crisis, you get a hypocrisis, which is the word hypocrite. Now, what could a hypocrisis be? Well, a hypocrisis is, let me give you an example. I think it's the easiest way to see it. A man comes home from work and he is angry because his boss has not recognized any of the work that he does. He feels under, underappreciated and underpaid. And when he comes home, he is mad as a hatter. And he comes home, and he starts yelling at his wife, and he kicks the dog. He is a hypocrite. Why? Because the crisis that he is encountering is his anger at his boss. But that crisis, that moment of decision of what ought I to do about my anger to my boss, is too consequential. It's too uh, dangerous. And so what he does is he takes his anger 
and he projects it onto people that it's safe to take it out on. He goes to something that is under dangerous or less dangerous and he yells at his wife and kicks the dog. That is hypocritical. Hypocritical. Now, I would like to suggest to you that the word hypocrite and the reason that Jesus uses it, and notice it, he's using it for religious people. And why? Because the great, the temptation to hypocrisy is the temptation to not have to ha challenge yourself to the deepest ways in which you are messing up being a human being. It's easy to worry about, did you say the rosary in the wrong mystery on the wrong day? Then to wonder about your deepest sins or your deepest issues. It's a lot easier. And actually, the word hypocrite, I think, can be pretty much applied as a way of understanding all sin. Because all sin is a refusal to look at reality. And you justify yourself by making a decision on something that isn't quite as big of a challenge. And so you duck and you become hypocritical. And it's really easy to do that, really easy. And you feel good. You feel superior. I'm better than you because I do all this. You, know, you notice that in the, the Pharisees, remember? When the Pharisee was standing in the back of the temple, I give all this money and look at this stupid sinner or look at that woman who committed adultery. And you could go on and on and on and on. They're all hypocrisies. They are guilty of hypocrisy. The sin of hypocrisy. Do we call ourselves disciples when we're just maybe just superficial believers? Do we assuage our consciences by just, well, I can't tell you how many times I hear this. Well, Father, I, I, I think I'm going to heaven. I, I'm a good person. I'm nice. I, I, don't, I haven't killed anybody. Hypocrite. Notice what you're doing. You're substituting your own standards, which don't challenge you much, to the standards of Jesus. The standard of Jesus who would say, unless you come and carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Hey, it's up to you, but a hypocrite is constantly absolving himself of all guilt because he makes up his own standards and then lives up to the standards that he made up. Now, please understand, I don't think you can ever get away from being a little hypocritical. The question is, how much? It's a special danger for me. 
my job, my, my work is religion. I can stop religion in my own heart, stop challenging myself at the deepest parts of my own sin, and just say, did I say Mass okay? Was I loud enough? Was I loud enough? Did I do well on my DSF plea? I could do all, all those things are good. They're good. But they're not the real question. The real question, the real crisis, is your faithfulness to discipleship in Jesus. And when you encounter, as you will, as I do always, my own hypocrisy, do you go deeper? Do you go deeper and challenge yourself to the deeper crisis instead of say, staying peaceful at a shallower level? So as you begin Lent, as we begin Lent, it's really easy just say, well, what am I going to give up for Lent? And feel like you're a good Catholic because you gave up chocolate or you gave up booze or whatever. But that's really not the point. The point is to uh, really challenge yourself as to how good of a student are you? Are you putting in the time? Are you putting in the time to study Jesus? Are you putting in the time to to find out how he thought he how he thought how Jesus thinks because see the point is that Paul said you have to put on the mind of Christ you have to learn how to think like Jesus this is not about giving up candy that that's okay at some level but that, if that's where you stay, that's the definition of hypocrisy. Because it is not the real urgent decision. So as we face Lent this year, my prayer for me and for you is that we ask the Lord to help us to see the truth about ourselves in comparison to Him. And to help us to accept, to face the real truth moments of decision and not just to stay safe in superficial moments and superficial decisions. The temptation to hypocrisy, I think it's something that it is important for all of us, especially people who are religious. It's important to keep in mind.